Hello listeners, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Welcome to episode number something of The Fourth Wall. I will come in from the future and put that in. I should have researched that by well. Uh, my name is Matt Goward. I'm joined as always by an animator who was the most exciting thing to happen to Norwich Road until they put that little Tesco there, Mr. Isaac Kidd. I'll, I'll kid you not, the uh, the Inkerman pub, which is also on Norwich Road, uh, used to used to house the ITFC uh, in 1856. <laughs> uh, where they used to... Straight, uh, straight out of the game, game of the bullshit. They used to kit up... <laughs> I, kid, I kid you not, they, they used to kit up there, um, play... Uh, 90 minutes or back then i'm sure it was half past the uh sundial but whatever yeah th- those are the terms um yeah this this end of the stick it's life's okay. life school it's switch it's switch i t f c i t f c cut it out oh. cut it. <laughs> cut cut it. come on people want it people like it switch is that is that true no i don't i've got a story about Ipswich town football club but it's not appropriate for this podcast at, at the moment. Anyway, uh, the other voice you heard is an artist who spends his days doing weird stuff with road signs while his girlfriend delivers life into the world. It's the Sheriff of Nottingham, Mr. Ryan Heath. Hello, hello. Good evening, Matthew. Good evening, Isaac. And I believe we've got another person here with us today. Am I, am I correct in thinking that? I know. You would never believe it. Finally, the fourth wall has a fourth voice. It's taken this long. It's taken however many episodes, but we are finally joined by an incredibly talented artist and, dare say, the Mrs. Robinson of our friendship group at college. The Jesus wonderful. <laughs> oh my what you're God. saying there, Matt, as you're saying, she's old. That I'm an old I'm an old I am saying that you are. Very attractive, Kim, and you were sex appeal. But you were also a mother figure to me at college, Kim. You stopped me from doing some very dangerous things, I would say. Oh. I can't oh, quite that's... remember what. But then okay. again, Mrs. Robinson lets him do some quite dangerous things. So maybe you're more of a I don't know. I don't know. It's wrong. Well, anyway, I... it's Kimberly Hines. Sorry. Hello. Kim. Hello everyone. Hello. Lovely to be here. Hello, Kim. Oh, have you here. You went very. Uh, you, you did the Queen's English there, Kim. Yeah, uh, I've got to be posh, and I. Because <laughs> you all sound quite posh on this, so I've got to do put we? on my posh voice, my yeah. phone voice. I put on my phone voice. I do that at work. Do it. Fantastic. I'll tell you a funny story quickly about uh, phone voices. At work, we have to record our own uh, like voicemail, and I actually sound like the woman. <laughs> on the thing so my boss was like oh kim you really need to uh record your your voicemail i was like no i have it's me and he was like oh i don't sound anything like you so yeah that's my uh my my phone voice for you and i'm still really shit at telling stories so how are we on kim honestly i think you look like the uh the, the lead character in this film, the the female character, not what, Mrs. Robinson, Dustin Hoffman, the daughter, <laughs> yeah, uh, Elaine. I think you look a lot like her get up, like her style. Oh, thank I think, you. I think fringe? that's a compliment. It's it's the whole like sixties, the makeup, the eye kind of eyeliner. Yeah. Oh yeah, well I'm, done. I'm very into my makeup. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> that film that Isaac is talking about is The Graduate, which 
is what the film we are going to be talking about today. Fucking hell, I haven't hosted in so long, I can't do this shit. Fine, cut to anyway. Do you want me to host, Matt? No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Let them see how the sausage is made. So, The Graduate. It's a film, if you didn't know. Released in 1967, based on a novella from 1963 by Charles Webb. Directed by a Mr. Mike Nichols. It was his second film after Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I haven't seen, but is a very heavily critically acclaimed film. Lots of awards. Uh, the Graduate itself got seven Oscar nominations uh, at, in the 1967 or 68, whenever those <laughs> In Oscars the 1967. Uh, it only won one Best Director. Which is quite weird, because most of the times, whatever film wins Best Director also wins Best Picture. Even to this day. It's very rare that that happens. But anyway. So yeah, we're going to talk about The Graduate. Uh, so I just want to start by asking if, you, if you'd if you ever seen it before. So let's start with our guest, Miss Kimberly Hines. Kim, had no, you ever seen I this before? No, I hadn't. I hadn't seen it before. Um... I'd heard about it because, funnily enough, my dad described someone that he knows as Miss Robinson the other day, and I didn't know what he meant, but now I know what he means, and I quite agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I hadn't watched it before, and I think I watched it, obviously, um, unlike some, so I hear, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I felt I, I felt very awkward most of the film, I won't lie. Yeah, I feel yeah. like. What did you think really... that was? He was a bit awkward, wasn't he? Yeah, Dustin very awkward. Bless him. Um, also, do we know? Um, you know James Argent, Arge from Towie. Have you ever watched that back in the day? <laughs> can't, can't say um, I have. I've seen give him, I've give seen him a Google. It. Give him a Google. It looks exactly like him. He's like a, he's like he a was... used car salesman, is he not? That's like his yeah. kind of when he was thing. when he was thin. Not when he's not now. Poor boy. Um, give him a Google. I see what you mean, though. You see what I mean? So, yeah, no, I hadn't seen the film before, but um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad, <laughs> it... <laughs> but right. uh, not a glowing you know, review. Well, I'm just quite surprised on the high, the high because when you said, Oh, this is what we're watching, obviously, I had a little look on IMDb and was like, Oh, it's got quite a good rating, this might be quite a good film, but. I just felt a bit awkward. Yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe obviously that was his personality and it was intended. Um, but I just felt like I was watching the room. Bloody hell. <laughs> no. No. Oh. <laughs> Cause I I found parts of this film uncomfortable. There's there's actually parts I had to skip because I was just like, I don't want to watch this. I think it was like the whole the whole affair thing. I was just a bit like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to. That's watch, the whole film. No, no, no. What do you mean those <laughs> parts hotel, I had to skip <laughs> in the hotel and that and he's going through it and you're just like, why is he doing this? And he's obviously a very troubled, troubled young lad. But I'm just, I was yeah. just kind of like, I can't relate to this uh, personally. That's something I did. How, how did you feel, Kim? What, what, what was uncomfortable? No, was I, it... I, yeah, I don't know. It was just like, I just felt like the poor boy was doing it because. He thought that's what he had to do because obviously he was having a bit of a crisis about now being graduated and what he's going to do with his life and stuff. And then I think he was like, oh, I should be doing this because I'm a young man. And then you could just tell he was like 
I don't know. I don't know. I think it was more. Yeah, I, I just felt mm. very uncomfortable. Um, especially like, you know, like the scene where you just grabbed that tit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so uh, excellent and I segue. Know, I know, I know a thing about that actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you, do you want to say it? Yeah. Well, he that wasn't actually scripted. He just did it. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. So, <laughs> it, yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, yeah, apparently he did it because it reminded him of schoolboys trying to nonchalantly grab girls' breasts in the hall by pretending to put their jackets on. Yeah, did that every day. Did that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't specifically remember doing it when I was a child, but it sounds like something I would have it? tried. Or yeah, I mean, I, def- I definitely... I definitely in like early high school would nudge a shoulder into a boob. In a shoulder. Like, you haven't got any nerve call. endings on your shoulder. You can feel stuff in your. Sh- well, I mean, oh, like, yes. yeah, yeah. What do you mean? You've got no nerve. I'm not going to kink shame you. I'm not going to kink shame you. I'm just saying. I'd rather no, no kink shaming rather... on this podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, we've we've all got our preferences, haven't we? You can, yeah, you can take what you you take what you can get when you're when you're that age. Don't you know? You can. You can whack a shoulder and it's fine, but I think if you continue doing that into adulthood, in whack a shoulder in, <laughs> whack in to to the itinerary of of foreplay. So apparently, when Dustin Hoffman did that, he's um, the director Mike Nichols started laughing loudly. So then Hoffman started laughing. So rather than stop the scene entirely, he turned away and walked to the wall and started banging his head on the wall. So that wasn't scripted either. Yeah. Yeah, I read that. I thought that was quite interesting because, again, actually, that was a part of the scene that made me feel really awkward. I was like, mate, what are you doing? Don't hurt your head. And then <laughs> and then I read that and was like, oh, that's why. Oh, that's quite good, actually. Um, but, yeah, maybe I'm just a bit sensitive. I don't know. I just felt so sorry for the boy. just wanted to give him a little hug and be like, come on. Yeah. It's, it's all right, you know. You don't have to rush into it if you don't want to. There's plenty of people that haven't, you know. Um, I just, yeah, didn't really like the woman much. Silly bitch. <laughs> <laughs> what, Miss, Mrs. Oh Robinson? Yeah, with her bad tan lines. That pissed me off as well. <laughs> oh, come on, it was, that, that oh was the age of bad tan lines. Yeah, 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 I get it, but still, come on. So, so what would you give it out of 10, Kim, overall? I didn't, this is the thing, I didn't hate it. I can't, I can't knock it. I can't be like that was shit. I didn't turn it off and think, oh my god, why did I waste an hour and a half or however long it was? Um, but I wouldn't go. Car, have you seen The Graduate? You need to, you know. <laughs> Interesting. I like, I like your perspective because I, I, I'm, I'm happy that you're on here, um, as a, as a female voice. Because whilst watching it, I was like, this is very. There's a lot of like male gaze, and there's a lot of kind yeah. of almost like how a, how a man would think. And I was just like, from the woman's perspective, how how did you kind of, did you see yourself in some of the characters, maybe the younger one or even in Miss Robinson, Mrs. Robinson? Did you kind of understand her or, has, or have you just written her up as a silly bitch? <laughs> 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 Which I like. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, to be fair, like I think there's there's parts of it that you can look at and she was, you know, she was obviously in a very unhappy marriage and all that kind of stuff. So I think herself she was crazy craving that attention, wasn't she? 
Um, and maybe she felt like she had a bit of control when she was sort of getting involved with um, horses chops. Ben, Benjamin, is that his name? <laughs> yeah, Ben Braddock. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, That's all right. <laughs> come on, talk to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think realistically she was, you know, that much of a bitch, but um, still, it was a bit weird. Um, but maybe I think, yeah, I think she was lacking that that affection in her relationship. She's obviously sourced it from somewhere that, you know, she could be in control of the situation and he was very vulnerable and he could kind of, you know, she could kind of maybe mould him into what she wanted, perhaps. Like a little toy boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I like the daughter. Um, I thought she was quite nice. Um, I didn't like her screaming. That, that hurt my ears. But, oh um... God, yeah. Oh yeah. I had to, yeah. I had to turn, I had to turn the TV <laughs> down at that point because I was like, I had the window <laughs> wide open. I was like, I swear <laughs> to you, I do not have a woman in my room screaming right now. <laughs> um, actually, on the topic of like loud noises, like a lot of the like background and stuff was like very over the top. Did you think, like the car noises and all that kind of stuff? It sounded very like, I yeah. Don't know. I thought that was to like to tie in with the motif of like him drowning, because yeah, you get a perhaps. lot of you get a lot of shots of him against water mm. with water yeah. underwater. Oh, yeah, true. Like, like he's it. he's being drowned by his parents, by society, by his, yeah, by his emotions. By, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. Yeah, I know that makes sense actually, because it was quite intense, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Well, I found it intense. I don't know if that was just because I was listening to it with headphones in or something, um, but it was like I don't know. Yeah, but maybe that was the point of it. If it if it's the theme, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because he there's a lot going on in his head. I think it was a bit manic. So. Yeah. So Isaac, you you hadn't watched it either, am I correct? Or you had? Uh, I've watched this film uh, once. Yes, and I had a, I had a, an idea of it. And then watching it again, uh, this this was on the smaller screen. So, right. but and and so I I kind of used that as an experiment. I was like, okay, if, even though on a smaller screen, will it still read as like as a visual story? Um, and I just love the way that it's the the technicality of the filmmakers, how they they use. Like fun zoom ins and outs, and there's lots of kind of intimate moments, and then they just suddenly pull back, and you're out in this exterior shot, and there's just so many fun, like cool, cool shots, like POV shots, um, which is point of view, um, things that just kind of catch you off guard. And I just, and also, let's 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 mention here firstly, Simon and. Galfunkel, <laughs> trying to read your name, <laughs> Simon and Simon and his lad. Oh my God, what wonderful wistful pop tunes uh, that they they conclude to this this I don't know, like sixties yeah, vibe, isn't it? Definitely. So what's quite interesting about um, the use of Simon and Garfunkel is that what happens a lot in filmmaking is before any scores are written or composed and put to the track, uh, directors tend to use um, placement music to like establish mood whilst for the editor whilst they're cutting. 
And apparently that's the reason why so many films now sound like Hans Zimmer, because they use like a Hans Zimmer score whilst they're editing. And then the director can't dissociate the picture from yeah, that from type of sound. Yeah, totally. So uh, yeah, for the opening sure. uh, scene with him on the Travelator, which is one of my favourite opening scene shots, even though it is literally just a shot of him on a Travelator moving as the credits go and the sound of silence playing. He just had the sound of silence as the like test bed music and then he realised it really fit the mood and he thought, well, instead of getting a composer and, composer and having a traditional film score, I want to properly bring out this 60s vibe and like the music that Ben would probably listen to. I must say, I did actually really like the soundtrack. It is excellent. Yeah, that is one thing that I was constantly thinking. I was like, yeah, this this is good. And it, it did work with the visuals, like you say. It kind of, it, it's like almost um, a juxtaposition of two forces, though, because on one hand, yeah, it matches, but you wouldn't have thought it would. And I think it's like there's two levels, but then when they come together, it tells you his, it paints you a clearer picture of uh, the lead character's inner world but yeah. then how he's feeling about you know being a graduate trying to fit into the world of plastic you know plastics <laughs> did anyone else uh, i didn't really notice this the first time i watched this film this was the second time i saw it but there's a bit where there's like a montage and the music is i can't remember which song is first it's some is one simon and garfunkel song obviously and it's the montage of him like going around to the ho- well, going to the hotel with Mrs. Robinson and their affair continuing, and him laying in the pool for ages. And then that song ends, and then immediately after that, there's another song and another montage. Yeah, there's like three songs in a row. I just found that so bizarre. I really enjoyed it, but at the same time, I was thinking, I was like, oh come on, that's a that's a bit indulgent now. I'm like, I've got the picture. He's struggling. But did you get the sound? Did I get the sound? <laughs> Ryan, you're just sitting there, chirp, chirpy as you are. Come on, what's your what's your take on this film? What what did you like? The first thing I thought when I watched it was that it it was really funny in a way that I didn't expect a sixties film to be. Like I kind of associate that era, like the kind of mid century era, with being like quite um, maybe quite slapstick or a little bit like very obvious humour, very kind of. Um, uh yeah with an older generation i guess so it was interesting when i watched it and it was so awkward and it was so mockumentary-esque in the way that it presented its humor it was like something that like a post office comedy it was like something that has been has been influenced by a modern day comedy or maybe maybe actually that has been influenced by the graduate so which is quite interesting so i did want to ask that uh i will start with you ryan do you think it holds up do you think it's aged well? I think the I think some of the comedies aged well. I think um, some of the like gender stuff is probably a little bit outdated. I think the way this this guy, um, it's maybe quite old fashioned in terms of how he treats women or how women are depicted. But that's because it's a sixties film. It's not necessarily yeah. like a noughties or a tens or a twenties film depicting the 60s it's yeah it wasn't bad taste for then was it no no so Mm. it's almost like you can't necessarily critique it on that um but i thought uh, yeah it holds up it's 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 quite visually it's quite beautiful i just love like 
I love 960s as like a vibe, as like a style. It's, it's timeless, I think. I would say the colours and everything in the film is really, really nice. You could like... Yeah, yeah. I would quite happily have quite a lot of the stills, like as prints and things like that. That like that would be like mm, get them on Etsy. Very nice. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what get I mean, though. Like that, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing. It was very, very, very visual. I lo- I liked that yeah. part of it. Don't get me wrong. It's just yeah. I think him as a character, I just wanted to give him a squeeze. Like yeah. you know. Just, it's painful, isn't it? It's yeah. and if that's not your type of film or comedy, like some people are really all right with watching uncomfortable stuff, but like I've shown certain things to mates, family members, and they've been like, "Oh, like turn it off! Like this is too cringe! Like I can't yeah. deal with it." Yeah, but I love it. I love. I lap up the cringe. I think by the end, because he started to sort of like loosen up a bit, didn't he? Like, um, oh my god. <laughs> Had to like take that in that little what, lap up the cringe. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Get your head out of the gutter, right, Isaac? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because it sounds like yeah. Okay. No, I honestly, I've, I've, I've just never heard like those two, those two <laughs> things like said together. Like usually you want to you you oh my god yeah. <laughs> when we finally get big enough to do merch, we'll have to have a t-shirt that just says "lap up the cringe." <laughs> yeah, fourth wall, lap up the cringe. <laughs> oh my god, it's true, it's true. I, I can't get enough, but you can you you can, Kim. You've had enough. I've had enough. What? You've had enough of the cringe, mate. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, I think actually, as much as I say that he cringed me out and stuff, I started to warm to him at the end because he started to relax a bit more. Really? Yeah. I feel the exact opposite. Oh, okay. Uh, really? Yeah. I is that, like the is last. That you're an awkward fuck. <laughs> yes, exactly. The first first forty five minutes of this film, oh. I I so sympathise with Ben as a character. No, he was a prick, mate. Did you sympathise with him? No, he becomes a prick. So it, he's no, he, like, come on. he come on. We need to stop him. We, no, he doesn't. He becomes really wound up and uptight and starts no. stalking. He's having a laugh Elaine. at the back of the bus. He In was it. having a laugh. But In wait, it. no. Okay, right. Let me say my point. So he got what he wanted. He went I, out. He went for did it, he? and he got it. He went for it. Yeah. Whereas first of all, well, he yeah. was like, "Oh, I'm confused. I'm so confused." Like, oh, I don't like... know what I want. Oh, I'm shagging a woman, like an old woman. Ah, yeah. I don't want to do oh, this. Oh, my life is so hard. I'm laughing up the cringe every night. I'm laughing it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie! Uh... I'm in love with your daughter, and then <laughs> it all goes. <laughs> and he was like, "No, fuck it. I'm gonna get there." And then his car dies, and he's like, I'm still going to get there. And I believed in him. He was a good old boy at the end. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad we have different viewpoints. I'm not glad we're all talking over each other, because that's going to make my life a fucking nightmare tomorrow editing this, but thank you anyway. Oh, well, it gives you something to do, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but, uh, no, so at the beginning of this film, I sympathise with him as, like, this disillusioned aimless character where but specifically when i first watched the film it wasn't long after i finished uni and was just like oh bloody hell what what 
what am I supposed to do now? I've got this degree, but I can't quite get a job with. Well, I'm struggling to get a job with it, and do I even want that job and all this stuff? And right, yeah, you like, yeah, I agree with you on that. You like latch on to like anything. Like I latched onto the idea of like moving to London and getting a completely random job. So not as bad as banging my parents' friend, but ended up being quite damaging in the end. Anyway, but the last half of this film, after it all comes out between him and Mrs. Robinson, and he's like, oh, you know, he goes to his parents and he has... I don't like him when he goes on the date with Elaine and he's trying to make her, like, not like him. Oh, yeah, that was a bit annoying. That's that. I, that's oh, really he horrible. Takes, uh, he takes her to, he the, takes to, to the, the strip, strip club, club, doesn't he? Because he, yeah. he's trying to yeah. And then he chases her. He chases her out side. Apparently, that whole bit was filmed was guerrilla filmed. Uh, like all the people there aren't extras; they're just randomers on the street because they. Can... Oh, that sixties vibe again. That that's why it felt so. Yeah, and that's when you've got like the you've got that voyeurism thing because it's like the camera's really far away. But you can see it's like zooming in, properly focused on them, and then but then she kisses him, which I didn't quite understand because he just was absolutely yeah. horrible to her, well, no, and he, he was just truthful, sort of, nah. wasn't he? Nah. No, he kisses her. I can her. see this. I can see this from the girl's back. point of view. Okay, yeah, uh, please, please. Thing is, I'm just a bit of a soft touch, right? If someone's an asshole to me, and then suddenly they're really nice, I'm like, oh no, he's lovely. He's, he's, he's sorry, you know, whereas my, some girls would be like, nah, go away, you know, like, but I can see it from her perspective in the sense that straight away he regretted his choices and ran out, yeah. you know, so yeah, I think, but it was still weird. Yeah, I didn't like that scene, actually. I, I, I did. I do agree with you there. He pissed me off in that bit, but um. Again, well, it's just him. He being was confused. trapped, though, wasn't he? Like Mrs. Yeah. Robinson was like, "You stay away from exactly my daughter." Etc. It was a mad panic. You know, I completely understand why he did it. So he goes back to his parents, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to marry Elaine Robinson." She doesn't know it yet. They've been on one date, which yeah. you know seems a bit mad. Go on, Kim. No, I just think that he's just falling in love. Do you not think it's him doing another, like, latching on to the next sort of thing that he thinks he can find meaning and purpose in, like banging Miss Robinson? It might be. Mrs. Nah, it might be. But maybe that's love to him. Because if he's he's a mo like, or maybe he's not in love with Elaine. Maybe he's in love with the idea of Elaine or the emotion that Elaine brings him. And if that brings him good and brings him happiness and less awkward, then go for it, mate. I'm all for it. <laughs> makes him less awkward. You just want him to be as, as neutral as possible, don't you, Kim? You don't want any awkwardness. Yeah, I just feel sorry for the bloke. <laughs> He's got too much going on in his little head. Just get laid, be happy and go yeah. on a bus. He's acting you know? like a teenager, isn't he? Because I think when I was... I mean, yeah, go on a bus, mate. When I was... <laughs> when I was... How old is he? What, is he supposed to be 20, 21? Yeah, 21. He looks about Come 45. On, that that pissed me off a little bit. Oh, it was they like used to watching... smoke back he's, then. He's 30. Dustin nah, Hoffman was... was 30 when they recorded when they was filmed he? it. I still think he looks very young. You can tell he's you can tell he's had a few ciggies though. He's looking a bit haggard. Apparently it was supposed to be uh one of the original casting was Robert Redford 
and he did some screen tests for it. But Mike Nichols was just like, no, he's too attractive. You can't believe him to be the underdog. Yeah. So I like that he's not like a typical leading man of that era. He's not bad looking, though. I... No, he's not bad looking. He's just normal looking. I'll tell you what, in the scene where he was laying in the pool doing nothing, I didn't like his sunglasses, I'll have to say. He looked like something... <laughs> he looked like you'd wear a flame shirt and go to a school disco. But <laughs> the, With the disco, um, man. Yeah, <laughs> I've got my shades on. I'm looking really cool. Um, but yeah, minus the shades. Cool, he, look he looked a bit fit, to be fair. He did look lovely, good in the pool, yeah. Lovely tan, yeah. Lovely tan. Yeah, lovely tan. So you were saying that like he gets what he he gets what he wants at the end. But that final shot where they like get on the bus and you it's kind of like that typical fairy tale running away. Yeah, they did to, drop with their, your love. They, 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 they did drop their smiles at some point, didn't they? They looked a bit worried. Um but is that is that more like oh shit we've just like completely ruined a wedding this is going to be you know maybe it's them realizing actually this is going to be quite hard but is it's worth it because they smile again after that i don't know I, I i took it as oh my god this is amazing everyone's staring at us on the bus this is really funny oh shit actually this is quite scary because neither of our parents are going to be very happy with us and, and all that kind of stuff and again everyone's staring at us actually this is maybe a bit awkward and then they start smiling again and it's more like, actually, we don't give a fuck. That's how I portrayed it. Um, but whether, you know, that is what it was intended or how, what would you say? I took it as they are very happy with what they've done. And then they slowly realise that, oh, now he's done it. He doesn't actually know if he wants it or not. Right, and he's okay. like, oh, I've like, I've had this goal, get a lane, run away for and now he's done it, he's just like, oh shit, what was, there's something after that goal. He hasn't been thinking about what comes next. And now he's like, oh, am I going to be spending the rest of my life with her? Am I going to be unhappy with her like Mrs. Robinson was unhappy with Mr. Robinson? Maybe, but maybe that's just um, him as an individual because he's always questioning, you know, straight out of uni or college, whatever, he he questions. Um he does something else. He quite, do you know what I mean? He's always questioning. So perhaps that is just his personality. He's just yeah. a bit of a yeah. warrior. Yeah. Anxiety, uh, yeah. I can certainly relate to that. Well, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> um, but yeah. What, what do you two think? This whole film's just been about corruption and how the like choices have been made for him. And it's like he's finally made his own decision, which was, you know, through what he perceived as love. So he was like, I love this woman and the working world, you know, this illusion of the world is telling me that I should marry her. So I'm going to do that. And I feel like he follows that. And obviously, you know, with his car breaking down and in that upsetting scene with the wedding, it was just like that last kind of run. And then, and then he's finally free. And then it's like, well, OK, well, now no one's telling him what to do. They literally have to think on their feet. Um, so that to me was that last scene. Yeah. The tricky one when you're kind of talking about and analysing not only films that have been out for a long time, but films that have been um, hyped up and have been sort of um, put on a pedestal by the film community. People love The Graduate. It's, it's seen as an iconic movie. And I think when you talk about it and you talk about the meaning behind the film, you've all, you already have so many other people's opinions and so many other people's um thoughts and uh it's referenced so much in popular culture that you sort of feel like you almost know 
exactly what the film was about without having time to process it. When I, I feel like when I watch a, a new film, a contemporary film, it's a bit different because um, it hasn't had long enough in the world for it to be scrutinised and analysed to the extent that a film like this has. So it's interesting when you talk about it, Matt, I'm wondering if some of that comes from you reading about it and it being referenced in other people's podcasts and other people's conversations. So I'll be honest, I really didn't know much about The Graduate when I first saw it. I did know the final shot, but I didn't actually know about them dropping their smiles. So mm. I just know, I, all I knew was that he gets on a bus with a girl in a wedding dress. I assumed it was their wedding for ages. Um, but I do, I completely get what you mean. There's so many films that I've seen that are held up as like cinemas greats that I've watched and I'm gone, I don't really find it that great. The what Graduate kind of is one of the few. Um, what can I think? Citizen Kane. Okay. Let's go for Let's it. I think it is beautifully it is one of the most impressively shot films i have ever seen and considering how old it is like the shots in citizen kane are still hold up and are still like feel like revolutionary like shots some films still aren't shooting like that but i think it's quite overly long and a bit dull yeah it's hard to know whether or not that's like our like millennial goldfish brain like finding things that are really long and slow, difficult. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's. it's weird. There's some like, I'm trying to think what like, I mean, I love The Godfather 1 and 2. Mm. They're long and I still think they hold up really well. The Irishman? You've seen The Irishman? Oh, too long. We've talked about that. <laughs> Way too fucking long. I get why it's that long, but Jesus Christ. I like the idea of The Irishman more than I like The Irishman. Yeah. And I liked I think, elements and scenes of it, but... I think that's how I felt about this film. Interesting. I did enjoy it, though. I did enjoy it. I just felt like... I felt the weight of, like, the, you know, 8.9 IMDb rating or whatever it gets. I don't know. I just I just, I just, just find it difficult when I watch films that have such a, like... Uh, um, yeah, such a weight to them. Like, I find that I can't watch them, like, um, objectively. You're constantly trying to work out why it's thought of that way yeah 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 it takes that away from me a bit i would say there's only there's only one film i think that i've seen that is held up in high regard that i think is absolutely amazing is 12 angry men oh that's great have you guys seen have either of you two seen that film isaac kim no it's really good it's about it's about court it's not a courtroom it's a jury they're in a jury room yeah it's set in one room for the whole film yeah i think it's based on a play it is, yeah. They basically uh, are trying to work out whether he is responsible. Is he killing his own father, I think? Yeah, yeah. So a murder happens um, and a an immigrant kid is like basically taken to court and 12 blokes, 12 men, and they're, they're not in their 50s, it's shot in the 50s, but a lot of them are kind of around middle age, aren't they? And they're basically being tasked with finding or deciding whether or not this kid is, is, is innocent or guilty. And... Um, it's just one, one, one room, which I really liked. I, I thought it would be dry and boring. It's like that film with, um, with Tom Hardy, where he's just in the car. He's playing a Welshman. Oh, Locke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good one. But another film that surprised me. Wait, I think Kim said something like The Room or something. Isn't that, isn't that one? 
it's, no, it's a very uh, unfortunately, film. unfortunately, <laughs> that is set in more than a lot more places in just one room. You being serious? Yeah, you'd think it was just one room. What is the room in the? I can't even remember what the room is in the room. It's the room where they make love and he has the affair. Oh, okay. It's, a, it's an absolute classic film. Yeah, so good. It is incredible. Like it is an incredible film to be like. How can a film be this bad? Because yeah. like even bad films, you still look at them and you're like, well, they're made well, and you can tell like the people behind them thought it was. Well, even Tommy Wiseau clearly thought that the room was a masterpiece whilst making it. Yeah, it's like it's a weird one because because there are bad films, aren't there? But then, like, there are films that like in terms of like the camera and the the budget like it's quite an expensive film like it's it's not a cheap film to make that's why it's so good there are so many shitty like really low budget films that are never gonna you know see that kind of fame and notori- notoriety notoriety notoriousness isaac what were you what are you gonna say uh well this links quite well to the the room and the location the use of location in the graduate so in in elaine's room i think it is which is where Mrs. Robinson first courts and seduces Benjamin. That we use that, and they use in the film, they use that location three times. And I think it kind of mirrors uh, the protagonist's his personal growth. So, firstly, you have it where, you know, it's pure corruption, you know, she's trying to corrupt him. Um, and then he's like, I'm confused, I'm not having this. And he leaves. And then, you know, he comes back and. And so that that's the first time we see that location. The second time is when he's with Elaine and that's where he's kind of choosing love or he's choosing, you know, he actually wants to be in that room. And then the last time he's in that room is him dealing with the consequences to him and the police, um, which is where Mrs. Robinson is like, I've called the police, they're on their way. And it's him kind of facing it. And I just find that interesting how they use that one location. And I think... As a viewer, yeah, you pick up his journey because you're like, oh, okay, and that that kept, the room almost has its own voice or its you know its own is a character or something. Yeah, well, what what do you think to that? What how how does no, that did you, did you pick up on that? that? I didn't even notice. Um, well, obviously, I noticed what room they were in, but I didn't think about it at the time. That's quite interesting that you said that because then it makes you think, oh, actually um and the thing where they made like she made quite a big deal about the portrait on the wall didn't she that in itself is quite odd wasn't it a portrait of elaine was it yeah i like the idea that like she's like all this stuff is happening um like in elaine's room apart from obviously the scene where he confronts elaine and tells her that he's Mm. been banging her (laughs) mum. like all this stuff has been happening in her room without her knowledge yeah like prior to that yeah true and like even though like her portrait is there and like she is literally hanging over them like the the idea of her is like towering over them and they are still doing all this stuff it's quite common isn't it when people do naughty things in uh in in rooms they want to they want to uh turn the photos down yeah, I've never done yeah, that. I feel like I feel like watched. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'd do that. You thinking that you would know if someone was fooling around in your own room if there was a picture of you there. I reckon um I reckon <laughs> if it was face down and there was a used condom on the bed, then probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh sure I God. could tell otherwise. <laughs> oh. 
I love it. It's like the the feeling when there's a, a dog in the room or something. Oh, <laughs> God, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I like I like that thought of the room. I, I do want to talk about that first scene where she does seduce him in the room, though, because that I... I think that's one of the funniest scenes it's where, really good. What, like, what about like the flashing yeah. scenes to like a boob? It's the fact that every time it cuts to a boob. Did you try and pause it? Did you try and pause it on time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh going to pause God. a film from 50 years ago when I have the internet. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's when it, you get the little flash, and every time there's a flash, he just goes, "Oh God, oh Jesus." <laughs> Oh my! Yeah, his reaction shots. <laughs> yeah, oh it's like God. perfectly timed editing with the shots of oh oh. So it's like you're really seeing it through his eyes. It's oh, I was laughing out loud at that. Yeah, no, I liked that because it just it did really just capture his total fear of the situation, didn't he? It's like yeah. he wanted yeah. to look, but he didn't. You know, like you know when you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at, or like if you're watching the telly and there's something like really gross, you know, like, you know, like there's A&E programs. It's like, oh, well, he's lost all these fingers or whatever. You're like, oh, I don't want to look, but you do, you know, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like that. Where you just exactly like, like so that. having those flashing images, it just showed how he was just like, no, I'm not going to look. Okay. I'll have a little look. Okay. You know, like I yeah, thought that yeah. was really clever actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's funny. Cause imagine if this film was all all the characters were gender reversed so imagine the men were women the women were men i i feel like this film would still be as funny and still as like good even and i yeah. feel like the the themes yeah because there's a lot of like sexualization of things but if it if that were the case i still feel like it would still be it would still work so yeah, if we, no, if we were seeing like flashes it. of like the, the man and the man was trying yeah. to seduce her i feel like because of our culture there'd be, it'd be a bigger talking point but i think that's kind of why this film works is because it's like how often does a woman seduce a young man well, i'm exactly. not sure like you know that's just well, the... yeah i mean the right woman might but <laughs> it's it's that interesting thing though isn't it where whenever you hear like stories about um like male teachers who've seduced their students and it's like found naturally very abhorrent but then, when it's the other way round, it does. Yeah, it's not taken as seriously, or or not. It's not taken as predatory. It's circumstances, like circumstances, but yeah, yeah. Obviously, if it's like a really horrible case, but I remember there were stories um, about like female teachers getting with students when I was at high school. Not at my high school, but the general consensus among like boys my age was, "Oh, what a lucky fucker." Mm. But even in like, you've got to think like other films and like even um just growing up like this is gonna sound like a really pathetic example um but i remember growing up and loving busted <laughs> right you know the band. oh that's yeah. not pathetic i know Hello. And, and you know like their music videos and stuff with like the the teacher that they were all in love with and stuff and we were all like oh that's so cool <laughs> Do you know like that that was sort of seen as a, a a positive thing and like you know realistically they're um, who they were sort of you know their audience were children so like looking at it from that point of view you you know that was all mm. okay but like I don't know it's quite an interesting because you know that's still you think how many years on that was from this film um and that's sort of still seen as like a thing it continues you know, today you know, doesn't it 
pop stars yeah, and young audiences. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a fantasy. Like, yeah, I think yeah. it's just a, like a very it's like a it's a kink fantasy that has found its way into the mainstream, and like people accept it. Yeah, but realistically, like from your point of view, like when you're growing up, like girls are like, uh, girls, you know. And then what at what age do you get like, oh, actually, my teacher's actually quite fit. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, when... when... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you know yeah, what yeah, I mean, yeah, though? Yeah, like, when, yeah. when does it go from like, oh, girls to like, oh, actually, you know, she's wearing a tight skirt. And, are you, like, are uh... you thinking that the, the Busted, the band, were yeah. trying to... They, were, they, they already had like that. They already understood that kind of puberty level. Maybe like that's Probably, what they were tapping yeah. into. Yeah, I would say so. Not in yeah. like a weird way. I just mean yeah, like just in a, a like, relatable oh, way. Women are into men, like at thirteen or whatever. Or yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know. Some, some I don't know. Like I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but it's just quite interesting how that kind of yeah, you know, like how that kind of concept is still a, a very much you know, and even today, you know, I'm sure that there's you know, 14, 15 year olds that are like, oh, she's a bit nice, you know, or like that fancy their friend's older sister and things like that, that, you know, they start going around and being like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know. I think it's quite interesting. I think it's just interesting relating like him, you know, discovering how he feels and all this kind of stuff. And like, like that, that's an interesting concept to relate it back to. Um, because, you know, perhaps people, I don't know, like would people of that generation watched the film then do you know what i mean like yeah, realistically. yeah um, who was watching who was it for who do you think the audience was yeah that's an interesting one like who do you think that are the college graduates so that's what uh i've i've got an interesting little thing about that so they you know roger ebert who was big famous film critic when he saw the graduate in 1967 he hailed it as the funniest movie of the year and he gave it four stars. And then when he saw it 30 years later for the 30th anniversary, he dismissed it as dated and a lesser movie. He said it's a movie about a tiresome bore and his well-meaning parents. The only character in the movie who is alive, who can see through situations, understand motives and dare to seek her own happiness is Mrs. Robinson. Seen today, The Graduate is a movie about a young man of limited interest who gets a chance to sleep with the ranking babe in his neighbourhood and throws it away in order to marry her her dorky daughter. He goes on to say that the movie was of its time, but its time has passed. And he asks, what murky generational politics were distorting my view the first time I saw this film? Just come out of college, Mm -hmm. mate. Well, yeah, he says to know that the movie once spoke strongly to a generation is to understand how deep the generation gap ran during that extraordinary time in the late 1960s. I'm confused. What? We well, we think of the 1960s, don't we, as being this kind of free this love, sort of, this sort of free love era. Yeah. But it wasn't like there. It was still like they were. You were in the minority if you were a hippie. Like it was still very much like the 50s. Um, it was like boomers and, and millennials and zoomers these days. I think, isn't it? I know you're watching Mad Men at the moment, Ryan. I'm well, yeah, I am rewatching it, but that has a lot of the same sort of stuff in it. You have like two of the like main female characters, Peggy and Joan. Joan is like a very forward thinking, um, very she's yeah, well, she's career driven in a different sort of way, but she like she likes that men, um, 
go googly eyed over her. She like she owns her sexuality and all this stuff, but she's still very much a woman of the fifties. She like expects to be seen as an object and she likes it. And then you have Peggy, who's like this forward driving force of like the new woman in the workplace. And like thinking like why are these men looking at me like that and like why is it why is it this way and then you even have sally draper who is like six when the series starts and is 16 when it ends and you realize that she is like there is a huge generation gap between her and her parents and it what i quite like about Mad Men, especially with sally as a character is that she's essentially our parents like she's born around the same time as my mum. She's born. She would be if she was real. She would be if, like a couple of years older than my mum. Okay, so you're watching it thinking, this these were the conditions that a woman of this time would have, um, a woman of my mother's time would have grown up in. Yeah, and a child sort of see specifically how they would have formed at mm. that point. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've not really thought about it like that before. I think I think it's quite interesting when you think about your parents as your age or your parents is younger because I often wonder like, yeah, would you have got on with them? Like what would, what kind of things would you have different opinions on? And my, my mum in particular, like she was born of like a kind of very sort of religious, like fifties esque kind of stiff upper lip generation. But not everyone was like that. Miss, Miss Robinson in this, in this film, she's like, She's quite sort of, um, she smokes, she's out having an affair, she's not afraid to be sexy. She doesn't fit the kind of older archetype of the era, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, everyone smoked in the 60s, <laughs> Yeah. to okay, be fair. Okay. I don't know, that wasn't really a thing specifically reserved for, for men. But you're right, she, she does very much own her sexuality. Again... Mad Men, there aren't many female characters in Mad Men who do that. I just want to talk about Mad Men, but I won't because we'll do a full episode <laughs> on it eventually. But yeah, it is interesting. It's like, well, you say about your mum, my mum was brought up in like my grandma is a very strict upper lip, you know, keep your feelings to yourself type or was keep your feelings to yourself type person. And yet my mum is definitely of like the hippie generation, mm. like past the 60s but like in the 70s she was very much she's very much a free love free spirited kind of person but it's that act of rebellion that you know is always going to be common like i've like i definitely rebelled against my parents talking about rebelling then do you think in an element of it he's doing it to kind of you know like when he ends up this is a totally different angle i'm not saying this is my point of view because i think he just went for what he wanted but do you think him, you know, obviously he declared his love to his, you know, his, his parents said, like, I'm going to marry this girl, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what the fuck? She doesn't even know about it. Do you think him like making that extra effort to go after her was actually a little bit of rebellion against his parents? Yeah, like, I, I do. Quite... I think it's rebellion against his parents and society. But at the same time, does that, could it be rebellion, but also what he really wanted? Or is it just pure trying to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to get what I want sort of thing? Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it could be a bit of both or it could be 
I still think that he was trying, even maybe trying to prove himself wrong because for so long he was like, I'm a failure. I've got nothing to go for, blah, blah, blah. And then by the end of it, when he got a bit of confidence, he was like, do you know what? Actually, I'm going to prove everyone wrong here, including myself. Um, so it could even be a bit of rebellion against his emotions, perhaps. I don't know. He's not a failure, though. Like, he's supposed to be an incredibly smart... Oh, yeah, for sure. But he certainly felt one. I th- No, I think it's it's the expectations on him. That, that first scene... Yeah. At the party where they're where they're yeah where they're parading him parading him around. I love the cinematography in that scene because the camera is just only on his head, so like it's just following him and it's just like new person here. Oh, come on, Ben, meet so and so who you haven't seen in ages. The scene of where he was in his like scuba diving suit or whatever it was, I felt really claustrophobic watching that scene. Same, and Mm. I don't know, like I'm not scared of water or anything like that, or. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it was just like that was one of the things you know when I said earlier about like the sounds being quite overwhelming like I felt quite and it was really clever because I felt like I was almost trapped in that suit with him you know yeah um, and, and there's even that bit where his parents literally push him back on the water yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah they push his head but back again down, that they? is that his is that kind of a concept of his parent you know you know obviously we visually saw that but really, that's what his parents were doing throughout the whole film, yeah. pushing him. Um, so, yeah, the more you talk about it, the more you think about it, actually, you know, although I said at the first, like, oh, you know, I don't think I'd watch it again. It is really interesting for me, because obviously I don't do this, to to talk to you guys. And actually, you know, more and more, I'm like, oh, actually, you know, I did enjoy the film. It's, yeah, that's, yeah. That, you know. Yeah. If you've got, I think if you've got something to say about it or like... Yeah, it's so it's so much nicer like watching things, knowing I'm probably going to be chatting about it. Um, yeah, because it means I oh, actually. Oh, not like... even that. Now you've now you've done it. Even if even if there isn't an episode planned, or or you you know you you're going to end up talking about it. I think now after doing this, I will then go away and watch films and series and things like that with a different point of view of like, oh, actually, how would I talk about this with someone? Because quite often I'll just watch something and go, oh, that's quite good, and not think about it again. So I think that's I think that's why this that's why we talk about films and books and, and Yeah, things. yeah, for sure. I think it's, you know, more and more as we speak, I'm kind of getting the importance of it. Um yeah, I find it really interesting actually. I've just had this like groundbreaking <laughs> realization as i'm talking Boys, we work we work as a podcast <laughs> that was pretty much it it was that like so much um content comes out at the moment that it's people's reactions are reduced to like one tweet now and then it's like oh <laughs> yeah. the next thing comes out we got yeah, to talk but about I'm that i'm very guilty of either jumping on the hype of something because everyone's saying how great it is i'm like oh i have to like this Mm. Or if someone says, oh, this is shit, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was shit, wasn't it? But actually, there might have been parts that I really did enjoy, um, but I didn't take the time to think about it. Whereas now, you know, you know, if someone, I don't know, an hour ago, if someone said, oh, what did you think of The Graduate? I'm like, yeah, it's all right. But now I can be like, actually, this was interesting. This part actually related to this, you know. And Yeah, yeah, it's not black and white, is it? Like, yeah, I know what you mean. No. It's nice, isn't it, to be able to like take away and think about things in a in a in a kind of deep way, but not but not like 
writing an essay about it, not getting oh, deep. Oh God, yeah. Oh no, that, that not ruins, feeling like that you're ruins a, a crit or a critique or something. With us, yeah. with yeah. us as well, it's tough to because you know when you come that feeling when you come out of cinema and you're just like, oh my God, that film was amazing, and then a day yeah. later you're like, why did I let that film? Like, what's going on? And it's like, but you're only you're only really kind of just in yourself because Talking you're just yourself, you, yeah. Yeah, and and you think that because it's out in cinemas, you know, oh, you know, it's popular, therefore I should watch it and I should like it. And I think that's the, that's the kind of buzz. And then actually, it's not until you t- you chat with friends or you talk with other people about it or whatever, whatever, and and you try and because I think some of the films that um, Ryan Matt likes, um, they and and some of the. Um, even music that we've had on here as well. It's just like, oh, okay, I, I like the, I'd like, you know, I probably would listen to it, but I never actually sat time down to just, you know. Yeah, you'd listen to it, but you wouldn't listen to it. Yeah. And I think it's that recommendation level of, of like, oh, yeah, check this out. And then not even like, oh, check this out because, you know, it's about It's really this. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like, just check it out for yourself and think for yourself. I think maybe that's where we um, all kind of go wrong in the sense of, you know, as soon as you told me what film that it was going to be, straight away, look on IMDb, look at the rate, you know, little things like that. When actually, I probably really shouldn't have done that. I should have just mm. watched it and got an opinion from it because the whole way through it, maybe I wasn't taking in certain things. I was just thinking, why is why is this so good? Like, why are people saying it's so great, you know? But not actually taking in the film as itself to, to know why yeah. it's been, you know? I think one of the best things you can do when you go and see a film, sorry to cut you off, Kim, I'll come back to you, but it, no, it's to fine. watch a trailer. Think like, I know it's a bit like, it might seem a bit pretentious or whatever, like I don't watch trailers, but like, I, I don't, like, because... Because I don't want to fucking ruin it, like. But but going in blind though, isn't it? Like it's it's skipping that yeah. blurb part or whatever, um, which is hard yeah. to do when you're on the internet a lot. Like, oh, it yeah. is. I used to be really guilty of, especially with films, um, like checking IMDb and Letterbox for the rating, watching it, and then the entire film thinking like, oh, okay, so this got like four, like average four point three on Letterbox, so. It's watching it. Letterbox. Is this a four? Is this a four? Oh, it's brilliant. It's much better than I did. Letterboxed, mate. Letterboxed. It's letterboxed, but without any. It's not. It's L E T T E R B O X D. Is this a hipster rating service? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> um, it's excellent. Okay. But yeah, no, I would like be watching the film, constantly thinking about what rating I was going to then give it. And if it then. I would like manage to convince myself if I thought it was say three out of five, but the average rating was four out of five, I would convince myself that it was a four out of five. Because people must be right. Like, yeah. Yeah. The general consensus must be right. Um, So now I like, I really try and avoid reviews as much as possible, unless it's a film that like, I am curious about, I don't know. I don't tend to do it anymore. Well, like, so I'm going to go see tomorrow. I'm going to go see Spiral from the book of saw because i used to love the sort of they're like a guilty pleasure of mine the saw films they're all fucking terrible the first one's very very good but yeah i i've seen every single one there's a new saw film out there there's a new saw film with chris rock fair enough (laughs) i saw one review from of it that was a three out of ten that made me want to see it even more okay okay Um, but to be fair the place that gave it a three out of ten i don't normally trust 
their movie uh, reviews yeah. anyway. But yeah, I I definitely try as much, I de- I don't watch trailers anymore. I remember after what I did really like, which Rogue One did, uh, the Star Wars film, they did a like a fake trailer essentially. Uh, all loads of shots in that trailer aren't actually in the film. They set the tone for the film. Okay. So there's that famous shot in the trailer where Jin's walking on the walkway and a Tie Fighter like comes up in front of her. That never happens in the film. Interesting. So after that, I was like, right, I'm not going to watch any more trailers. And I remember refusing to watch the trailer for The Last Jedi. And then I went to go see The Last Jedi. And what did they show right before the film? The fucking trailer for it. For the film you were watching? Yeah. What? I was so annoyed. I'd lasted oh like God. I was on a date with someone uh, who I so think this was like, like my that. third date with them, oh, and God. I literally went, "I'm sorry," and just put my hand in front of my face and put my fingers in my ears, just to you know. <laughs> and that's when they knew it wasn't meant to be. I was with her for like another year, <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I think that talking about films is, uh, or just talk—not films, just talking about media, art. Like really helps you form your own opinion and listening to other opinions. Yeah, because you, when you talk to people, so I think it's nice when you talk to someone that's got. It's refreshing when they've got their own opinion, isn't it, about something? I think that's one of the most like. That's one of the characteristics of boring people is they don't have any opinions on anything. They mm. don't have any any yeah. opinions, and that's like. What what can you chat about if you don't have any opinions? Do you know what I mean? Like that's one yeah, of the yeah. crimes of conversation, I reckon. Crimes of conversation. You've got you've got some bangers right there. Like, it's true, though. Do you know conversation. No, I, yeah, I agree. No, sure. I've got I've got all the, all the all the weird phrases. I have to say that the if if we were to film a sequel to this film, this is this is I'm going to do this from now on. Just gonna, <laughs> you keep trying to make this. I know. I'm trying to do this last. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the corner of um, conception. Let's call it. Okay, so we're in a, we're in a, this is a pitch reel pitching the second film to come out of this. I think it would look like, and what we would feature on is trauma, and the trauma of Elaine, so this the the um the daughter in the film, her mm-hmm. trying to like get over the fact that every time Benjamin's character like touches her and stuff he's like oh you touched my mom and it's like her trying to be like oh but now i can't see my family anymore like oh my god and then also have benjamin like being like i don't know i think that would be um maybe maybe slap on some like noisy (laughs) 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 yeah i think i think so we had simon and garfunkel i think we need to move to black sabbath are we yeah. saying that this this sequel is going to be set in the like in like the late seventies eighties? Yeah, well, let's say seventy five. I okay, feel like seventy five, and there's on. like there's a lots of like coal fires burning and, and and things like that. But there is there is a little there is a little you know that love is still like a theme as well, which will which will continue through, but um. Are you pitching your version, or are you telling are you telling us like what the premise is? Um, I think that's just that's the first thing that's come to mind. What are, okay. what are your, What's your um, version? What them just having a yeah, bit of a panic? I want some <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's probably, sort, she's probably still trying to sort her divorce out as well because mate is refusing to sign the letters and uh... yeah. classic, classic. <laughs> you got a dog? You don't have to do the dog. I'm taking him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stealing that dog.
Where would where what would the parents like? What's the relationship with the parents as well? Like, oh my god! Yeah, it, yeah that's a good point. So obviously, the uh, I said earlier, the Graduate is based on a novella. In two thousand and seven, the author wrote a sequel oh. called Homeschool, Ooh. and it's set in the seventies. Oh and my ben god! Ben and Elaine are now married, uh, yeah. and are fighting with their school district to allow for their sons Jason and Matt to be homeschooled. Oh, got children. And they turn to Mrs. Robinson to help them, who decides to seduce and blackmail the principal. Told you. Oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say seduce and blackmail the uh, the grandchildren. Jesus. <laughs> Someone get this predator locked up. Uh, and I know we said we, sh- we shouldn't take other people's opinions as uh, gospel, but it has absolutely terrible reviews. Really? Okay. Um, apparently, people talk about it. It just sounds like someone who just wanted to... This sounds like a cash cow, doesn't it? Well, it's yeah. a weird cash cow to have 40 years later. Yeah, but to be fair, you need something for the old pension, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose it wasn't that long ago that um, Harper Lee wrote the sequel to, to Kill a Mockingbird. Like, that oh, was only, wow. what, like, yeah. five or so years ago. What, I was at, the, oh, actually, a bit more than that. I was at uni. Yeah, I mean, so. it's like when they brought out Mean Girls too. Yeah, a bit late. <laughs> you, you've missed the beat, like... I've, it's already a classic. We don't need it. <laughs> Has anyone here ever seen American Psycho 2? No. No. Starring Mila Kunis. What? Who plays a girl whose babysitter is murdered by Patrick Bateman and then she decides to become a serial killer. It's got William Shatner in it, who <laughs> plays her um, like professor. It is one of Crazy. the worst films I have ever seen. But I had to watch it because I loved American it Psycho. It no? sounds like a piss take. <laughs> it is a legit. It is a legit sequel that yeah. is just terrible. It's clear, it's not made by the same uh, people. It's like, have you seen um, how many sequels there are to Jarhead? There are sequels to Jarhead. There are sequels to Jarhead, but they're not obviously they're not written or directed by Sam Mendes. None of the same cast, and it doesn't have the actual same point of Jarhead, which is like about the like the boring idleness of war and not knowing what you're actually fighting for i think they're just like gung-ho war films they did a titanic 2 didn't they oh my god i think it's called (laughs) titanic 2 down with this ship i think it's called and it's um it's got one (laughs) 1. 1.6 on imdb are you having a laugh is this true no this is true what's the title of it it's got someone called bruce davidson in it i don't know who that is but oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah wait wait so the first <laughs> the first ship the first titanic it, right, it's under under the sea yeah and then does this take place like under the sea no, there's a terrorist attack on titanic 2 <laughs> tight yeah yeah, yeah, so it's it's not course. actually a sequel to Titanic. I believe Titanic Two is made by this uh, company called The Asylum, and they do loads of, um, like they they do uh, snakes on a train. Brilliant. They basically do like remake. Ty- it's hard to explain what they even are. They just. I, I think they did Sharknado as well. Also, that's the only sequel you're going to get out of that. Snakes on a train. How many other? Pieces of transport, Moons right? Of transport. <laughs> Snakes on a minibus. <laughs> <laughs> snakes on a tram. <laughs> tram. <laughs> RP snakes on a tram set in Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs>
Get these motherfucking snakes off my motherfucking tram. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. There we go. We've got a one minute Instagram segment there. <laughs> you know, we were saying about like this um, Mrs. Robinson like being all seductive and all this kind of thing, like the older woman type thing. Um, there's something about here, the casting. Apparently, Mrs. Robinson was meant to be cast as a, a French actress. I don't, I can't pronounce her name. But it says the motivation for this was the cliche in French culture that older women tend to train the younger men in sexual matters. Train them. That was the that was the vibe he was going for. But then obviously Ooh. she didn't she didn't end up playing her. But they they still kept that element in, didn't they? Like it was very much like she was teaching him the ways, you know. Jeanne Moreau, I'm gonna guess that's how you pronounce her name. The actress who was. Yeah. Yeah. What is interesting, like I said, um, that Dustin Hoffman was 30 at the time. Mrs. Robinson and Bancroft was only eight years older than him. Oh, wow. The, the song Mrs. Robinson, which came first, the, the, the film, the, the film. narrative, and then... So all of I think all of the music for The Graduate was already written um, apart from Mrs. Robinson, I believe. I think right. even oh. Sound of Silence definitely existed. I believe Scarborough Fair did as well. Scarborough Fair. Well, no, Scarborough Fair is like an English ballad originally, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that version of Scarborough Fair. It's like, oh, oh, an April come she will. Oh, what? That's that's the uh, for this one of the songs when they play two songs in a row. It's April come she will, and then Sound of Silence. There's just something so tranquil yet poppy about this music in this film. Yeah, it's quite ghostly, isn't it? Or like quite like it feels like it's sort of um other word I don't know, is that the right word? Yeah. It's haunting. Haunting, yeah. It's so that the, the voice and his wispiness just feels like it could pinch you, I feel. <laughs> oh my god. I've just found something amazing. Oh yeah. You know what I said about busted? They've been cancelled. Nah nah nah. The song Crash the Wedding by Busted was inspired by the film's wedding crash <gasps> scene. Bam. This oh film. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. It's all come full circle. It all links back to Busted. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I'm so glad I just read that. The universe is connected. That is like, but do you know what? How glad I am that I've said this before reading that. That is just really, I know my point wasn't connected to the wedding crash scene. But it just shows that, you know, maybe this film has influenced in more ways than one. When I thought about um, the when I first saw this film and that the wedding crash scene, it reminded me of another sort of bad sequel, Wayne's World 2. They crash a wedding. And uh, yeah, so he says, I'm so rushed off my feet looking for Gordon Street is a reference to the 1993 film Wayne's World 2. Yeah, there you go. Busted had levels, didn't they? They had some levels. Mate. That was The Graduate. Thank you very much for listening. If you managed to stick to the end, uh, I was your host for this week, Matt Goward. Next week, we're handing over the reins to Ryan Heath. And Ryan, I hear you've brought an album for us. I have. We're going to have 2010's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. <laughs> I cannot wait. A very polarising album to some. But we'll all talk about it next week. So I hope you don't. Thank you. I hope you <laughs> listeners don't run away. <laughs> Dung. Dung. Thank you for having me.
Yes, thank you very much for being on, Kim. What a pleasure to have Thanks a fourth voice Thanks, on mate. the fourth wall. Lovely, lovely. It's been very enjoyable. Thank it's you. It's given my evening a purpose. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we need, a purpose, so that we don't go bang our parents' friends. And on that note, <laughs> we're going to love you and leave you. We'll see you next week. And we will definitely see Kim again sometime soon. Very soon, right. I hope. Um, so, yeah. Look forward to it. See you next week for some Kanye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>